Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. What happened? You just laughing at me? I don't know, man. You know it feels like family when <laughs> look, Dad hurt himself. Uh, today, and you know, it's it, we. These are not the easiest songs to to sing and to work through, and and they uh, rightfully at times, you know when we consider this disconnect that we can feel in our faith between the promises that God has for us and, and what we can feel or what we can experience, these are things that uh, bring about an honesty that is, that is not always easy. We've, as the summer draws to an end here, we've been looking at various psalms, particularly as so many people come and go in, in the summer months and, as we know, Labor Day weekend. And today we look at the 13th psalm. And this important question that comes up in the 13th psalm in fact in, in a way is the only is the biggest truth in the whole psalm i shouldn't say truth but the biggest feeling in the whole psalm is defined by this question and the question of co- course is how long o lord now i don't know if there's many of you in this congregation who would have me believe that you never ask this question uh, I have a word for you in response. Uh, I don't, well, I'll just put this, I don't believe you. We have all asked this question, how long, O oh Lord? Or if you haven't, then that's one of the distinctions between you and David, <laughs> the psalmist. Because this is a psalm of David. This is a question that exists in this room. I know it does as pastor. Knowing some of the things of the lives in, in this place. And don't worry, I'm not going to mention them. Um, but how long, O oh Lord, is a question that is very close to many people here. How long, O oh Lord, or just thinking as I'm saying it, or again, O oh Lord? <laughs> you can kind of do variations on it. One of the toughest questions, how is it asked? Is it asked about your health? You could face chronic difficulty with health. Is it asked about your career, your work, your vocation, your finances? How long, O oh Lord? 
the success or lack thereof in your life, you think that you want or deserve or should have something else. And your life becomes in some ways defined not by the blessings that you have, but by what you feel you're lacking. How long, O Lord? Some of you have had circumstances in your life, legal cases or injury or accident, right? And you face the court system and the justice system and whatever else. Jill was telling me this morning that they have mice in their computer. And they don't mean this kind, like the kind that, you know, but actual mice living in the computer. They come and go. It's warm in there. Did you know you could have that? I didn't know you could have that, but... And some of you are living in places where it could be some niggly little thing like that. Just something small. Why is this little problem coming up? And why are the people who are supposed to take care of it not taking care of it? Or there's situations that are much more desperate than that. Caring for a loved one. Having a person in your family face something like a health difficulty or addiction. And I know you have asked and continue to ask. In fact, it's the question you carry more than anything else. How long, O Lord? Have I always felt this way? David asks the question, and and depending on how it's written from the original language, there's sometimes two question marks, sometimes one. Uh, I like it with one, and and it fits the the rest of the psalm, how David speaks. How long, O Lord, question mark, will you forget me forever? But really a way of of looking looking at that is that David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? One question mark. It feels to David like he has been forever forgotten by God. Because of some circumstance that is not outlined in the psalm. If you know David's life, you might know uh, a potential occasion for this. Because David did have a lot of turmoil in his life. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Because that's what it feels like. That I am forever forgotten by you. It's fantastic language. Dramatic and accurate way of describing the feeling. It feels like your forgetting of me swallows up the whole of my life. So the first thing to say about this question, I just have a few things for you this morning on it. We've already mentioned in in its description, but now to mention it as a teaching point. The first thing to say about this question is that you are not alone in asking it. Thanks be to God. We have this terrible tendency in our lives to think of ourselves as human and the other people around us as not, like they're not quite as real as, as we are. So you come to church and you think things like, well, it would be a lot easier to have that person beside me to have their life. In some cases, you might be right, because, by the way, things are not fair in this world. And some people deal with a lot more struggle and turmoil than others deal with. However, what is more true of that description is that you come and think it would be, it would be easier or better to have their life, except this, that's because you don't know about their life. And the strain they carry. And the struggle they have. And the concerns they have for loved ones. Or whatever it might be. It's Meister Eckhart, I think, who said, Be compassionate. Everyone you know is involved in a great struggle. You're not alone in asking this question. It's been asked by everyone. Well, actually, I shouldn't say everyone. But that's more because 
It's the, it's the last two words that, that take the everyone out of the equation. Everyone has asked, how long? How long am I going to be in this situation? When will things change? What do I need to do to change these things? It's the comma, oh Lord, that makes it people of faith. That also makes it a much more difficult question to ask. Because if we didn't believe in God who cares for us and loves us, we could just say, how long? And I guess, well, maybe things aren't supposed to be better. But it's the, oh Lord, that gives the question its impact and strength. How long? And then your heart breaks at the, oh Lord. David is asking it here, as we say. And do you remember what we're told about David's heart in Scripture? David's heart was a heart after God, we're told. And yet David's heart here is deeply troubled. Remember when God chose David to be king? Samuel went to anoint him and actually lied about his purpose in being there that day. But it's, it's, if you read the Old Testament, it's very curious, uh, very real. And Samuel goes thinking that it will be one of David's brothers who's chosen as king now that God has rejected Saul. And the, brother, the brothers are paraded by, and Samuel says to himself and to God, well, he is something, that, that brother there, that, he is impressive. Eliab, remember that guy's name? It says he was large of stature, of height, and he was really good looking, and he seemed to be a leader. You could just tell. And Samuel's like, that's the guy. Remember what God said to Samuel? God said to Samuel, Samuel's in prayer, praying without ceasing in this moment. Nobody else knows what's going on inside in Samuel's head, but he's praying. And God says to Samuel, as Samuel is impressed by this brother, uh, God says, uh, hang on a minute, uh, moment, Samuel. I'm not impressed by the things you're impressed by. Stature. Appearance. And then you remember the next words. It's man, humanity. Man looks at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. He was speaking, of course, about David, who then pens this psalm sometime later, after he's anointed to be king, but he doesn't become king once he's anointed. What happens after he's anointed is he literally has to run for his life, actually has to run for his life from the one who is king. David anointed as king, running for his life into the desert and the wilderness. There is this disconnect between promise and the circumstance. That's where you come in as well. How long, O Lord? Because there is this disconnect between what people have told me or even how I read your word, what my life is supposed to be like and feel like, and there's a disconnect between the promise of that and the circumstance I find myself in now. And then comes the question, how long? Was it only David's fault that there was this disconnect? David, by the way, got a lot wrong. The other thing is, and I always note this when I talk about David, there's no, um, there's, I mean, you could say David and Goliath, but there's, but there's no miracle in David's life. It's such a, a normal life in many ways. It's, it's extraordinary in its scope. But David doesn't run around performing miracle after miracle and, and it, we have more narrative on David's life than anybody else in Scripture. I guess you could say except Jesus. Was it just David's fault? Because he was a good sinner. I mean, he was good at sinning. 
at doing things wrong. And he's really good at doing things wrong and doing wrong things, but God says, these hearts after me. That's um, very encouraging to some of you, <laughs> and me too. So was it just his fault that there was this disconnect? How long, now listen to what else David says in the psalm, how long must I have sorrow in my heart all day long? This is great poetry, good writing, because it expresses the longing of the human heart and the pain that we can feel. How long must I have sorrow in my heart? That's enough. It could stop there, right? But it's not that. How long must I have sorrow in my heart all day long? It describes how this feels to be in this place. There are, and I bring this up as a possibility, that this could have been David's fault alone. There are times in our lives when the disconnect that we feel can be a consequence of our own choices, our own lack of faith, or our self-centeredness. Please hear that. Sometimes people come to me, and we can do this to one another, and say, I don't know why I'm feeling what I'm feeling. And I could say if I was not quite as gentle. Am I gentle? Maybe not. But anyway... What are you talking about why you're, not, why you're feeling what you're feeling? You've made a bunch of really bad decisions. Why is this happening? It's not happening to you. You did this. That is a possibility that we must face. Or that this disconnect that we feel can be a result of the toxic culture in which we live. A culture that says that our lives are supposed to be uh, we're supposed to have lives where we feel good all the time. And if we don't feel good, if you don't feel good, then you know one thing. Something's wrong. Now, that's not how Scripture lays out the truth. We are to have abundant life, life to the full, but that doesn't mean an absence of difficulty or pain. And I always think if, if, if we begin to think that it does, that, that there won't be this disconnect, we would simply have to go through everybody that we know in our lives and say, is there anybody that we know where there's no disconnect, where there's not some big sense of, well, I would prefer that this is different, this big, this one thing, family member, health, whatever. Everybody has something. Everybody, trust me. So you might not voice this question. You might be afraid of the question, how long, O Lord? But it is something that is there. And our toxic culture can contribute to it because the minute that we don't feel okay, we start to freak out. Oh no, oh no, oh no. There's a maturity that's called for in that as well. And this is a toxic culture. However, I would think that if you and if I could have this, if you could have this, if you could have a heart like David, if God could say about you, put your name in there, and maybe some of you would, or this, let's, let's put this, at least this would be your desire. My desire is that God would say about me, Todd has a heart after me. I, in, in a way, I could aim for nothing higher than that. So if you could have that, if I could have that, that you have a heart after God, that's pretty good and pretty high. If you had a heart after God, truly, 
would you then be free of this kind of question? Well, apparently not. I'm not arguing for mediocrity. I'm not arguing for an anemic Christian life. We accept a Christian life that is so often powerless, faithless, without wonder, without supernatural expression. That is not what I'm arguing for. I would argue against accepting that. But I would say this. Even if you experience those manifestations of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, all of these things, you will still in your life say, How long, O Lord? Sometimes over an extended period of time, sometimes what seems to be like for the whole of your life. So you're not alone in asking the question, but secondly, the truth of this question is that it can begin to overwhelm our daily living, reaches everywhere. We need to be honest about what this feeling can do. And so this might be a little bit of uh, painful incision here for a moment or two, but I'm going to mention it. I've mentioned it before, and I'll mention it again. Pain makes us incredibly self-centered. Do you know that? Pain makes us incredibly self-centered, or can, often does. Now, with maturity, we can grow out of that and pass that. But if you're going through a time where you're asking this question and and repeating it, how long, O Lord, you begin to think about yourself an awful lot. Right? And you come to church and you think about your own struggles and your own pain and whatever else it is. And guess what you can't see? Anybody else. I'm not condemning you for it. I'm describing it. It's reality. And if you are not right now in a position of pain, but maybe someday later you will be, or you have been in the past, you'll know the truth of this. You're focused on yourself your conversation with others, even more than normal, because we're all kind of self-centered by nature, but your conversation with others when you're in times of pain is, is kind of described, defined, enveloped by a sense of what you're feeling as the biggest thing. You can't even begin to think, why aren't other people helping me more? It's not a, a, an invalid question. I'm not saying it shouldn't be asked. I'm just saying it's descriptive of what happens when we're in pain. You see your problem everywhere you go. You say things like, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? See that? I'm not looking to sanctify. One of the problems we have in the Christian church is that we've bought the lie that, that our faith is primarily about right and wrong. Our faith is about Jesus Christ. And if we got everything right, the idea that we wouldn't need Jesus then is a terribly unchristian idea. Jesus is not a means to an end. And so when you read a psalm like this and you think, is Todd saying David's right to ask this question? Or is he wrong? I guess he's wrong. Is he right or wrong? I'm telling you how he lived as a human. <laughs> how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Verses 2 to 4. This is David's uh, self-centeredness. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? There's a repeated focus in this brief psalm on enemies, real or otherwise. And there were real enemies, for sure, in David's life. The enemy becomes impersonal, 
where for David, his feelings of anguish and difficulty are the most personal thing of all. So enemy just gets a description. You can see this in your own life when you start defining other people by the simple pronoun them or they. Listen to me. If only they would change. If only they would get what I'm after. If only they would, you know, reach this point I want them to reach in faith or whatever else it is. Or, in a bad scenario, if only they, my enemies, would stop hurting me. Not, again, arguing the case of the enemies at all. I'm looking at how our heart works at times like this. And then you begin to say what David says in this psalm, again using the pronoun them or enemies, just the impersonal title. Why are things working out for them? And meanwhile, you're forgetting me. It's this feeling that all of life goes on around you Other people are enjoying themselves. Other people are making their way. Other people are successful. Other people have what you wish that you had, but you seem stuck and you can't live. My foes rejoice because I'm shaken. Shaken, torn apart. I want, and I offer this as an example because it's going to focus on being a parent. Uh, But yet I'm, I'm mindful when you give examples like this that the, the thing that I'm actually talking about is the feeling of being torn apart or shaken. And I want to strongly say you don't have to have children to know what it feels like to be torn apart. Okay? So please understand that. And, and I don't mean any disrespect to people who can't directly relate to this example that I give. But I trust that God will allow you to relate in, in another way. We feel shaken, paralyzed, is if we can't progress or be happy unless this thing changed. We can't be content. We can't move on and it feels like everybody else is moving on. Rather than feeling like we're moving from strength to strength, everything in every day becomes a challenge and a weight. So you know what it means. You've got to make two phone calls today. I can't even make two phone calls. It's killing me. Would you avoid this feeling if you could? I'm sure you could. But the truth is, it happens. And as I mentioned before, the truth is, there are times when it's of our own making. A friend of mine who's a minister, you don't know him, it's not Ken. He told uh, Ken and I, and, and there were some other ministers present this week, of something, and I won't tell you what it is, but I feel it in my heart, is uh, something in his family that is so big and such a struggle. Uh, and as, as he was talking about it, I, I've known him for years, but I never knew he was facing this. I don't know, I don't know him personally in that way. We haven't shared times together as family. And he told me about something that has just taken up everything in their family, changed the way he thinks about God, changed, changed the way he thinks about faith. He was clearly emotional in talking about it. Things seem to be better now, but still uh, facing many challenges ahead. And what he was describing was the the feeling of being torn apart or shaken. I am shaken in this psalm. Made me think, hearing my friend's story about uh, an article I read in Harper's Magazine recently. I think it was How to Be a Parent or something. 
Um, but basically all it did was take a number of writers and they describe what it's like to be a parent. And this description came from a, a writer who said she never could have imagined herself being a parent. And it's quite an interesting and very intense uh, uh, essay that she had, a few pages. But this is um, how she described having a child. She said, the point of having a child is to be rent asunder, torn in two. Those who are parents here will directly relate, and those who are not can relate to the feeling. She says, years before I had my son, I heard of an artist explaining why she decided to become a mother. The artist said, I didn't want to reach the end of my life intact. Is there something necessary in this life that we need to be torn apart? It's the heart of the question, how long, O Lord? Is it possible that God would use this breaking apart of us? I'm not saying God's doing it. We have to mature past these kind of black and white questions. But is it possible that God is using this breaking apart of us to form us and to allow us to know true salvation? Leonard Cohen, the Canadian poet and musician, some of you know one of his more famous poems or songs, says there's a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And pastorally, I'll share, I can't tell you, having conversations with many of you and the struggles that you mentioned to me about your life, your family, whatever it is, and I'm listening to you, almost always listening to you. I mean, I'm like the rest self-centered and thinking about my own life and whatever else. But as I'm listening to you, I'm also praying to God in my number one prayer over and over again is this, on your behalf now. How long, O oh Lord? How long is this person going to have to hold this? I long to see the times end like that. And I will give you an encouragement. They do end. I see people come out of those deserts. I see situations change. I see people go from weakness to strength. I see family members go from terrible addiction to freedom. God has for us an abundant life, but it doesn't preclude that the question is asked repeatedly. Some may say, and we could have words of this from the congregation. But if I'm torn apart, even then, is God with me? If I am torn apart, even then, is God with me? This calls for, for great maturity. It really is an immature faith that says, if things are okay, that means things are okay. It's a mature faith that says, even though the circumstance can appear to be this, I trust in God. There is, after verse 4, where this turns from our second point to our third, a long pause. It's just like you do in this, and I wish that the pause was shorter for some of you. Some of you have been in this pause for years. And, and again, sometimes of our own doing, sometimes of your own doing, but other times not. And you're in this pause How long must these circumstances or my enemies prevail over me and I'm shaken? And then this pause after verse 4. This is a long wait, a wait in the darkness, a wait, and here's an important word for you, a wait in disorientation. Because that's what it feels like. You're disoriented. 
You don't know how you can put your feet on the ground because it feels like there's no ground there. But the pause isn't the end of the psalm. There is finally this third thing, reminder and recovery. Or if you want to describe it a little more um, literally, like as it's written, the, the, you, David moves from disorientation to a new orientation or reorientation in verses 5 and 6. David says to himself and in prayer to God, this is the truth about what I feel. So now you look up from verse 5 where we're now, look at the four verses previous to that, and David says, that basically defines how I'm feeling right now. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Will my enemies prevail? All of this kind of thing. But verse 5, the tone changes. It doesn't necessarily change what David is feeling in the moment. Not yet. While he is feeling that sense of struggle, pain, and strife, he says this, verse 5, But, in other words, though I am feeling this, and though all of these circumstances seem to have me in the darkness, but, this is why it's reminder and recovery, this is all of that which I feel, and I wish this struggle was over, and I wish I could be past this, But I have trusted in your unfailing, or in the ESV, I have trusted in your steadfast love. Do you see the contrast between the word that David used to describe himself and the word that David uses to describe God's love? David describes himself and his heart with the word shaken. And that is the feeling. I've seen it in your eyes. I've talked to you about it. I've felt it myself. I feel like nothing is solid and I could barely have a conversation with somebody. I'm shaken. But I have trusted in what? That one day I'll be steadfast? That one day I won't feel shaken? No, it's better than that. I have trusted in your steadfast love. Though I feel shaken, you are steadfast and unfailing. That's why it's reminder and recovery. And by the way, I want to put the word on this. This is maturity. This is maturity in life. It's not easy to get to these places for many people. But you've seen mature people, I hope. We have a crisis of immaturity in our world today. And it has nothing to do with age. Everybody's just playing. And I I like... Playing. I, I'm going for a bike ride next Saturday to Whistler, and I did a little. Uh, it's a big fondo with you know thousands of people, and I did a, a, a training run yesterday, where I went from Alice Lake to Whistler and back, and I'm just that's all I just wanted to brag about it. I did that. No, the reason, one of the things that struck me on the way home when I was almost dead from the ride, supposed to be downhill, but it was so windy, but the highway, Highway 99 is like a millionaire's and billionaire's playground. The amount of Ferraris and Maseratis and motorcycle, those people have more leather than some of your cars are worth. And I'm not condemning them. You see how I told you to watch out for that word. But we don't have a ton of maturity in our world right now. And we, we're deeply impacted by it because we don't know what to do when we feel any disconnect in our lives. Nobody, well, you know what people offer you? I can make things better for you. But you know they can't. 
the person who is mature can say, oh, I've felt that before. And the person of faith can say, they're not looking to move you anywhere, they're not, they can, but they can share their experience. But I have trusted in God's steadfast love. This is a mature movement that David makes here. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. What is David feeling in this psalm? He is feeling afraid and tired and alone and beaten and deflated. That is what he is feeling. But he reminds himself and his soul. You remember the psalm where David says, uh, Oh, my soul, why are you so disturbed within me? David speaks to his own soul. He reminds his soul in this psalm. But I have trusted. He's speaking to himself too. Remember, David, I have trusted in God's steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in God's salvation. I'm feeling this now. But what I know is that this other thing is more true. What I am feeling, and this is another step of maturity, to understand that what you are feeling is not the most true thing in the world. Thanks be to God, and now you're free. I'm feeling this. David isn't denying what he's feeling, but he does have the maturity to say, "Uh, hang on, give your head a shake here. And God's love, as described here, is steadfast. Contrasted, as I said, with feeling shaken. You can feel shaken and still trust in God's steadfast love. Now, eventually, there's this, you will change the way you feel. This is my circumstance, but I know that your love is steadfast. And you love me now, even when I'm feeling this. Please hear that. You love me now, even when I'm feeling this. And God's salvation for David will bring or brings rejoicing. You think that what will bring rejoicing, this is, this is our immaturity, and it's not altogether wrong, it's just, it's just immature. You think that what will bring about your rejoicing is your circumstance changing, correct? Correct. If I got this place to live, if this worked out financially, if my job situation worked out, if I met somebody, if I wasn't so lonely, if this health situation changed, if this thing at work changed, then I would what? Then I would rejoice. David is mature in this song toward the end. And he says, I, trust, I have trusted in your, un, in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. God's salvation will reach to David, but his heart is rejoicing in God. His heart has moved from sorrow in my heart all day long to the expected and anticipated rejoicing in God's salvation. There's a lot of David's heart in this psalm. And at the end then, as we move to our time of communion, and what I want you to do with communion this morning is to consider that how what Jesus Christ has done for us is the reminder of the way things actually are in the world. That whatever we face, wherever we are, As we take the bread and take the cup, we remember that in Jesus Christ we know life to the full and salvation. At the end of the psalm, David says, and I loved hearing George read it, I will sing to the Lord. I will. One day I will. Or I will now. I will sing to the Lord, for he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, this is in a few verses. He has moved to, how long will you forget me forever, O Lord? Two. Now, please hear this. His circumstance hasn't changed. 
Oh, Lord, you've dealt bountifully with me. And I'll sing. I've told you before about a time of depression in my own life. And I went through what many of you have been through. Um, and uh, at the end of it, I didn't have to stay on antidepressants. But, of course, I know very many people who, who are on that kind of med- medication. So I don't speak against that. Uh, but for me, I was going through this time of sleeplessness and depression and whatever else. And go to the doctor. I cry in the doctor's office. Uh, not only am I supposed to be a grown man, but I'm supposed to be a pastor. And I'm weeping in my non-Christian doctor's office. I don't know if he's non-Christian, but that's, you know what I mean. And you should try these sleeping pills. And I've got samples, Todd. And then, and then you know, then that becomes antidepressants and that becomes whatever. One of the symptoms that I had when I was going through that, and for somebody like me, this is interesting and, and depressing, uh, I realized, especially after I came out of it or as I was coming out of it, that I didn't have any songs in my head. I always have songs in my head. Always. And I was in such darkness that I had no songs in my head. And one day, I think I was doing the laundry. And something curious happened. I felt good about doing the laundry. The kids were little. And I thought, you know, this is a real blessing to be able to do the laundry. And then I noticed something. There was a song in my head. I said, thank you, Lord. Listen to what David says. I don't think he had a song in his head when, at the beginning. But by the end, he says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has dealt bountifully with me. That's what is true. And so may we take this communion. Jesus Christ has given his life that we would know full and abundant life. And somehow in this life, That full and abundant life on this side of eternity will include times of saying, how long, O Lord, but that doesn't preclude from the abundance. Jesus Christ has given us salvation. We don't stand in our own strength. We are forgiven of our sins as we trust in Jesus Christ. And that's my call to you this morning, that you would put your faith in Jesus Christ, the author of our salvation, the one who has defeated sin and death. And this is a mark of that, a reminder. We hand the bread and we say, take and eat. This is the body of Christ given for you. We have the cup and we say, take and drink this cup. It represents Jesus' blood. Take this cup. Trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This is poured out for your forgiveness. So Heavenly Father, we pray for this communion this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would say to us today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.